Heavenly Father, this morning we're rejoicing because of you, and as we open your word and as we think about who you are, may we understand you better at the end of this time. In Jesus' name, amen. On Monday morning, I am supposed to get my kitchen cabinets. I'm not holding my breath because they were supposed to come last Monday, and then it was Wednesday. Now it's next Monday. Let's just see what happens. As many of you know, we bought a a 1978 house that needs just pretty much total renovation, and we've been working hard on it. And if you're a DIYer like me, then you like houses that need a lot of work. Now some of you probably like to buy houses that are just brand new, perfect, everything's good. But no matter if you're a DIYer or a brand new home buyer, everybody does the same thing. You walk into the house and you begin to personalize it. Some people, you techie people, you know who you are. Very first thing, you got to get those uh, automatic or those digital, whatever they are, the, uh, the Wi-Fi light bulbs. Every fixture in the house has to have them so you can turn them on from your phone, change the colors, got to set the mood. Uh, we got one in the second row over here that likes to do that a lot. Isn't that right, Mr. Otati? <laughs> Some of you, you just need to replace ceiling fans. Now, some of you, even if it's a brand new house that's been painted a beautiful shade of gray, you'll come into the house and you'll say, nope, that's not the gray that I like, and you'll repaint the entire house because you want the right color. Now, in first service, I mentioned uh, a very famous color. A lot of people have this color. A lot of people have this gray. It's called agreeable gray. In fact, I think that if we all raised our hands that had agreeable gray in our house, we would have half of the people in here that had it. Should we do that right now? No, I'm just kidding. We won't do that. In first service, somebody did take a a picture of a paint swatch. They were watching online. They took a paint swatch of their their grays in their house, and they sent it to me. They had three or four different colors. Dolphin fin gray is the gray that they chose to paint their house. It doesn't matter. You move into your house. You've got to make it personalized. You've got to update it. When we first moved into our house in Marietta, Georgia, many years ago, there were lots of updates that needed to happen, but one of the top priorities was the landscape update. It was a jungle out there, guys. I mean, there was holly trees on the corners of the house that grew up above the second story window. That's not a bush, that's a tree. And we cut them down and the tree stumps were massive. And then there was the privet. Does privet grow in Florida? Oh, y'all, praise the Lord. Do you know what kudzu is? It's, privet has got to be part of the family of kudzu because it is definitely a weed. And some people try and shape it into hedges and bushes. It's just a weed. And this privet was out of control, especially in this massive bed that I had on the side of my house. And so I got in there with a chainsaw and with hedge trimmers and tried to shape this privet into a, a nicely shaped bush. And then when I did that, I realized that the bed needed a lot of pine straw. Now I'm a mulch guy myself. I like mulch, I think it looks good, looks better and it lasts longer. But this was a massive slope that dropped off the side of my house. And I thought the very first rainstorm from George is gonna wash all the mulch away. And so I went with pine straw. So I went to Home Depot and I got 20 bales of this pine straw, brought it over to my house, put it in the, in the garage down there in the basement, and then I waited a couple days, had, you know, busy, life was busy. Jen went on a, a trip out west, and so I was left with my boys. Now I had a three-year-old and not even a one-year-old boy. Little guys. And I wanted to get this pine straw put out, and so I I really only had two options. I could do it with them, but that would be a mess, and I had visions of my my little little one-year-old crawling out in the road and getting run over by a car. Or I could do it after they went to bed, but then it would be dark. And so I thought I got smart. I put Cain into bed at his bedtime, seven o'clock. He was snoring away like a one-year-old can do. 
and I took Caffrey, my three-year-old, and I said, hey, bud, let's go out and put some pine straw out. He said, okay, dad. So we went downstairs to the basement. We opened the garage door. We took all the pine straw out. I closed the garage door. Then we spread all the pine straw. And when I gathered all those orange baling twine strings that wrapped the, 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 the pine, pine straw up, I looked at Catherine and I said, hey, bud, you ready to go inside? And it was at that moment that I realized that every door in the house was locked. And now I had locked my baby sleeping in his bed all by himself in the house and I was locked outside. You, you women are panicking. You guys are like, yeah, it's not that big of a deal. Something will happen. Break a window. I went across the street to my neighbor. I hadn't even met him yet. We've been living there a week. I knocked on the door. He comes out and I said, hey, I'm, I'm your new neighbor. I'm Matt. He said, hey, I'm Chris. And I said, I, I've locked my child in my house. <laughs> and to which he had a shocked look on his face. And then he said, let me go flip my steak on the grill, and then I'll come help you. A typical guy's response, eh, it'll work out in the end. His wife overheard him, and she said, what? You have a baby locked in your house? They all came over. He, he brought a hammer, and I thought he was going to break a window, and then he brought a, a, a putty knife as well. And for the next 15 minutes, we worked on getting that putty knife wedged in between the lower pane and the upper pane of a window, and he got the lock turned, and I got inside. And as I was Put, put my head back out the window to say goodbye to him. He said, hey, Matt, we can keep this between you and me. <laughs> you don't have to tell your wife. <laughs> but because Jen and I have this policy where we tell each other everything, that night on the phone, I said, hey, Jen, I, uh, I locked Canaan in the house by himself today. It's okay, everything's all right. And she could have flown off the handle. She could have said, Matt, I can't trust you anymore. I can't leave you with the kids anymore. Never again. But she didn't. She said, Matt, it's going to be okay, man. You got the, you're back in the house and you're forgiven. And she gave me grace. Grace feels good, doesn't it? Today we start just a two-week little mini-series. Two weeks as we... Think about God's incomprehensible grace. And we get Moses to give us a tour guide of God's own heart as he shows us what he's really like on the inside. In fact, if you've got your Bibles, I encourage you to open them to Numbers chapter 20, right there at the beginning of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. If you didn't bring a Bible, there's a blue one in front of you. In fact, if you're brand new to the Bible, you can look it up on page 110. You'll be reading the same version as I'm reading. Numbers chapter 20. Moses writes this book, and he gives us the story that happens here. Numbers chapter 20. I'll give you a minute to find it, and then we'll go on. When you get it, say hallelujah. Okay, sounds good to me. Numbers chapter 20, here we go, verse 1. In the first month, the whole Israelite community arrived at the desert of Zin, with a Z, and they stayed at Kadesh. There, Miriam died and was buried. Pause there for a minute. You got the whole Israelite community, two and a half million people. They've been cruising through the desert looking for Canaan, looking for the promised land. Uh, it's in like the 40th year. They are the, at the end of their journey. They're, they're camped at this place right outside of the land of Canaan. They're almost there. They're very ready. It's the first month of the year, just the beginning of the year. Miriam dies. Now, Miriam's not a nobody. She's somebody special because she was the chosen one to watch over her baby brother Moses floating in the basket. 
She was the chosen one that led the women in praising after they crossed through the Red Sea. She was the one that they called a prophetess because God spoke through her to them too, and Miriam dies. And probably because Miriam's death and they were mourning, and probably because in that time of the year, it's like our March and April, it's kind of a nice part of the year, and the grass was super green there. They stayed in that area for quite some time, several months. And we pick up our story in the very next verse, except it's not springtime anymore. It's blazing hot summer. Here's how the story goes. Numbers chapter 20, verse 2, it says this. Now there was no water for the community, and the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. They quarreled with Moses and said, If only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. Why did you bring the Lord's community into this wilderness, that we and our livestock should die here? Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to this terrible place? It has no grain or figs, grapevines or pomegranates, and there's no water to drink. I bet that's what they sounded like. Two and a half million people crying like that. There's no water to drink. I don't know about you, parents. Do you get the same thing we get oftentimes after bedtime, after the kids have gone to bed, and then, I need water. Anybody? I wonder if that's what they sounded like. Moses, we need water. They're thirsty. Have you been thirsty before? Really thirsty? Back in 20... I don't know when it was, several years ago, nine years ago, 10 years ago, I signed up to run the Seven Bridges Marathon in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Now, you guys know how much I dislike running. I don't like that run rhymes with fun because there's nothing fun about it. But I signed up for a marathon because it's a bucket list item. So I put it on my list. And as I started training, the, the marathon is in October, and so the training starts in, in, in the heat of the summer, and the long runs are just really miserable in the Georgia heat that's just as bad as the Florida heat. Oh, it's miserable. My wife, Jen, was due with Caffrey in November, so she's very much pregnant. And on these long runs, I said, hey, Jen, you like to exercise. Would you be willing to ride a bike next to me while I run? And being an incredible wife, she said, sure. So she gets on her bike and legs out to the side to make room for the belly, the baby in the middle. We, there was this little trail by our house, 2.2 miles around a loop, and uh, she would go with me, and she would carry the water bottles one water bottle and one Powerade bottle. Because when I'm running, I get thirsty. And when I'm thirsty, I get cranky. And I understand why these Israelites are cranky a little bit as they're there in this place. They want to get to Canaan, and there's no water, and they're thirsty, and they are cranky. And they're complaining about it. And to me, their complaining sounds a whole lot like their parents. You see, it wasn't too many years before that the first generation of Israelites that they were complaining to. In fact, if you'll put your finger in Numbers chapter 20 and you'll turn back to Exodus chapter 17, you get another insight to a very familiar story. Exodus chapter 17, it's on page 52 in the Pew Bibles. I'll give you a minute to turn back there and you get to hear this story that sounds almost identical. Exodus chapter 17, page 52. Give me an amen if you're there. Woo, we got some all-star Adventists here. What was that, 20 seconds and you found it? All right, Exodus 17, verse 1 again. Here's what it says. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of Sin, with an S, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Sound familiar? Moses replied, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? 
But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, What am I to do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, Go out in front of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock, and water will come out of it for the people to drink. Thirsty, cranky, complaining people. They think, what's going to happen now? Where's the water? It's like they forgot that just days before, God split the ocean for them to walk through. It's like they forgot that, that God had given them this pillar of cloud during the day to give them shade and a pillar of fire at night to give them uh, warmth. It's like they'd forgotten that God consistently gave them manna and quail so that they could eat. None of that mattered to them because they just wanted something to drink and they wanted it now. And God, once again, shows his incomprehensible grace. He didn't have to give them water, guys. Remember, they weren't going to make it to the promised land anyway. They could have died right then and there. Yet he shows his incomprehensible grace. He tells Moses very specific instructions. He said, Moses, you take your staff and you go to the rock at Horeb. And when you get there, the elders are there and everyone's looking. And you take that stick, that, that um, yeah, your, your, your staff, and you strike the rock. It's a prophetic concept. It's a beautiful picture of our rock, the rock of ages, down history from Moses. Jesus, when he gets struck down on a cross, the rock at Rephidim poured out life-giving water, and the rock at Gethsemane poured out life-giving blood. And Moses gives us the picture of what incomprehensible grace really looks like. Isn't God's grace wonderful? I mean, how many times have you experienced his grace? Daily? Hourly? Is it something you even recognize because you just bask in it over and over again? Have you seen the goodness of the grace of God? Fast forward back to Numbers chapter 20, 40 years later, maybe 30 years later, it's a while later, back to the complaining people, the complaining children now, Verse 6, it says this. We're in the first story again. It says this. Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting, and they fell face down, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. The Lord said to Moses, Take the staff, and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together. Speak to that rock before their eyes, and it will pour water out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so they and their livestock can drink. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence, just as he commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, Listen, you rebels! Must we bring you water out of this rock? Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. In a fit of anger, in a tantrum of rage, Moses reacts to what's happening inside him. He takes the rod. It's just a simple piece of wood without the power of God in it. And he strikes the rock twice. And I wonder what Moses was thinking. Disobeying in front of the entire assembly. Everybody's there and he just has done the opposite of what God has told him to do. And he's ruined the picture of what Christ really is. Jesus died for our sins once and for all, forever and ever. 
Now you don't have to kill him again. You just have to speak to him and say, God, I'm a sinner. I need your grace. I need your forgiveness. And he gives it to us. You don't have to kill him over and over again because of his death was once and for all. Yet Moses strikes the rock again, and I wonder if he was waiting for sulfur to rain down from heaven to destroy him. Would God show his judgment, or would he show his merciful grace? Here's what happens, end of verse 11. 11 says, Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff, and water gushed out, and the community and their livestock drank. Man, I I feel like this is a teaching moment for Moses and for everybody about obedience, where God says, no, 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 if you didn't do what I asked you to do, then you don't get what I was going to give you. Yet God shows us his incomprehensible grace as even though Moses disobeys, God still answers his request with a, a, a gushing flow of water. The SDA Bible commentary puts it this way. God met the situation with an abundant supply of water in spite of the attitude of Moses and Aaron. He did it anyway. Or I think you can put it best like this. Here it is on the screen. God's grace is not determined by our behavior. In spite of all that Moses did, God had grace on him after disobeying right in God's face, after ruining the prophetic picture of who Christ is, after taking credit for the miracle himself, after losing his cool and acting out of anger, after uh, dishonoring his position as leader, after doing all this, he deserved to die, yet God gave him grace. In fact, God taught everyone a lesson that day, but it was a lesson about grace. God's grace isn't determined by our behavior. He doesn't look at what you've done in life and then decide if you're worthy of grace. He doesn't count your sins and then think about, eh, he needs some more grace. He doesn't look at your past and say, well, they screwed up then, so they don't deserve it now. He doesn't check your church attendance, whether you're online or in person. He doesn't look at your giving records and see how much tithe and church budget you've given and then decide if he wants to give you grace. He doesn't pick and choose who gets grace. His grace is for everyone. It was for Moses, it's for habitual sinners, it's for believers and unbelievers, it's for moms and dads who do their best to show their kids what a picture of God looks like and they mess up. It's for youth of today, which feels like every road to Jesus is blockaded because Satan put something in their way. It's for grandmas and grandpas who are at an end of lifetime and they might feel unworthy of wasting grace. It's for pastors, it's for teachers, it's for doctors and lawyers, it's for used car salesmen and real estate agents, it's for mechanics and computer techs, it's for babysitters and dog walkers, it's for me and it's for you. And we sit in amazement at God's marvelous grace. We try to understand it, and we wonder about it, and we try to explain it, and we do our best to think if there's anything in our life that deserves this grace. But we can't, and that's why we find it simply incomprehensible. The last two weeks, last week actually, I've had two incredible experiences of grace of people, strangers, getting in my truck. 
Here are the stories. I only shared one at first service. Thank glad you came to second service. You win. <laughs> Saturday night, sun's down. I go pick up my kids from adventures. They climb in the truck. And we're the kind of Adventists that eat pizza on Saturday night. You guys might be popcorn and apple kind of people. That's cool too, whatever. There's both, both worlds, it's good. So we go to get some of the best, worst pizza out there, Little Caesar's pizza. I heard, a, I heard an audible moan from back over here. Ugh, gross, Little Caesar's. You must be a Papa John's girl, that's fine. Got the pizza. Papa John's pizza tastes better if there's soda and ice cream. It's just true, every pizza tastes better that way. So we go across the street to Publix, and we, and we go and we get uh, Reese's and chocolate chip cookie dough. Both good choices. We would have gotten moose tracks, but they didn't have any, just for the moose track lovers out there. We load up our cart, we take it out to the truck, we get in the truck, and we start to head out of the parking lot. We come up to that stop, stop sign that's right in front of Publix, and as we're slowing down, I hear somebody behind me go, Woo! I look in the rearview mirror, and there's a dude walking up. Nope, I've never seen this guy before. He doesn't, I don't think he comes to our church. I, I don't know who he is. And he's walking up the side of the truck. I'm looking in the side mirror, and I see him come up to the truck. And then he comes right to the passenger side door in the front there, and he, he pulls on the handle, and it's locked, of course. And like any good protective father would do, I unlock the door for him. <laughs> I trust people way too much, y'all. He opens the door, and then this strange man starts to climb into my truck. And I'm watching him, and I'm not really sure what to do. Here he's climbing into the truck, and he's halfway inside, and it's a, it's a tall truck, so he's kind of trying to get in there. And he looks at me, and I look at him, and we have this moment of like, what is happening right now? And, and when he sees my face, he's in immediate shock, and he, he, he doesn't know what is happening. And he, he takes a step back, and he starts looking at the truck. He looks at the inside. He's examining. He looks at the wheels. He looks back at me, and then he says, uh, my brother-in-law has the exact same truck. <laughs> he closed the door, and for a moment, Caffrey and Kanan and I wanted to say, what a bozo. This guy trying to get in our truck, like what? Come on, man. He made a mistake. He made a blunder. And so the three boys, we decided, because Jesus has grace for us, let's give it to him too. So we just kind of giggled about the situation. Second situation happened uh, a couple days before. I was over at um, Big Dog, Top, Top Dogs Car Wash. You guys go there? You, it's a good place. We got, we got the pass. $15 a month, all you can wash your truck. Puts the scratches in the paint, I don't care, it's clean. <laughs> Drive in there, get the car wash, truck wash, come out the other side, and I pull into where the vacuums are, and as I'm pulling in there, there's a situation that's unfolding right before my eyes, and before anyone says a word, I know exactly what's happened. There's a little silver car, and there's a mom outside the car, and a little boy is next to her, and she is yelling at him. And I pull in right next to them, and I stop the truck, and I, I open the door, and they're coming around the other side, and I say, would you like a ride somewhere? And she says, he locked the keys in the car. And I said, I know. He's standing over there in shock because his mommy was really laying into him. I looked over at him and probably overstepped my bounds a little bit. And I said, it's okay, bud. We've all done it. You're going to be okay. 
And I said, would you like to use my cell phone? And she says, no, my cell phone's in the car. And I was like, and that's, that's why I'm offering you my cell phone. <laughs> poor, she's, poor lady, she's just frustrated. And uh, she says, well, maybe they have one of those doohickeys that you stick in the window and you can unlock your car. And so she goes and she talks to the mechanic and she goes to talk to the guy that's there at the office. And, and I'm thinking, well, I'm kind of committed now. Like, I'm, I'm here helping them, so I'm, I'm here till the end. And I'm standing there, just waiting on them. 10 minutes pass, 15 minutes pass. I've already washed my car like three times. Like the wheels are spotless. One, 20 minutes. Finally, I go over there and I look and she's on the phone talking to somebody. And I, I come back to my truck, just kind of waiting there. My cell phone battery's draining at this point. Like, can it get any worse? She comes around with her son and I say, hey, did you get any, any help? And she said, well, I called AAA and, and they're they, it's, it's in my husband's name and they need his cell phone number and he just got a new cell phone number and I don't know what it is and it's on my phone and my phone's locked in the car. And so I said, would you like a ride home? No, 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 no. And I played the pastor card and I rarely play it, especially if it's my own benefit because I, I think that's a sacred something that I don't want to abuse. And so I, I said, ma'am, I'm a pastor here in, in Apopka. I don't know if that makes a difference, but I'm happy to take you wherever you need to go. And she said, no, 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 we're fine. Okay, we'll take you up on that. <laughs> so she climbs in the truck, another stranger in my truck, little boy's in the back seat. I even had a car seat for him. Uh, in fact, he's wearing uh, his little daycare shirt, the Ark, whatever, at the Filipino SDA church. And, and uh, we were talking. She said, what church are you, Pastor? Oh, the Forest Lakes of Namas Church. She said, oh, he goes to daycare at the other, the other one. I'm like, oh, that's really cool. And we talked. And, and we've all been in those situations where we've made mistakes. And in my, in, in my own opinion, it wasn't the little boy that made the mistake. It was Mama for leaving her keys in the car. And anybody could have said, well, that was dumb, ma'am. Be a better person, be a better mom, take care of your own car. But that wouldn't help her. What she needed was grace. Why? Because God gives us his incomprehensible grace and it's ours to give to other people too. This morning, there are many people in this room and those that are watching online. Some of you this morning have lived pretty amazing, and I would even say righteous lives where people look to you, they look up to you and they say, man, that's a picture of what Christ looks like. There's others of you this morning that have made major mistakes over and over and over again, and you're an embarrassment to taking the name of Christ. There are those here this morning that even feel like you're completely unworthy and completely unforgivable. I think Romans says it best, and it's like this. Paul says that where sin increased, grace increased all the more. You can't out-sin God's grace for you. No matter what your situation is, my prayer is that you fall into the deep, incomprehensible grace of God. He's such a merciful and gracious God.